You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So have you ever had a story that just sounds crazy? That when you tell people, uh, they think you're making it up, they're, they're certain, that you're, oh no, that didn't really happen. That's what this text is going to be today. Uh, the, I have one of those stories, I actually, we shared it with our small group just a couple uh, months ago. Uh, it was this night in Taiwan. Uh, we were asked to, uh, we were missionaries there. Uh, we, had our two, we had our two oldest kids at the time, they were one and three, and we were asked to perform a wedding. Uh, they just wanted a Westerner to do a wedding. They wanted it in English. They thought it was exotic. And so, and they're like, well, we know one person that speaks English and doesn't have a clue what we're saying in Chinese, so we can talk about him. Let's get Matt. And so uh, I was like, hey, I'm in. And so they said, would you come do a wedding in Kaohsiung? And we didn't know where that was. We'd only been in, in the country for um, about a month and a half. And they said, but we'll take care of all your expenses. Uh, we'll, we'll go, we'll, we'll get you there, and we'll put you up for the night, and you'll get to see Kaohsiung, and it's going to be amazing. And we said, okay, we're up for an experience. And so we pack up our family, and there ends up being uh, problems and delays, and so we end up getting off a little later than we thought. It was a late afternoon, and so it just meant we'd arrive in Kaohsiung. We were hoping to be able to walk around and see this town and then get to a, get to a nice hotel, and it, that didn't happen and we were going to get there after dark, but that's okay. And so we go and they said, uh, here's, here, here's the van. And we're like, oh, all right. And so I thought, you know, that we'd get a nice car, but it's okay. And we get in get to the van and they said, all these guys are going with us. And so this like eight passenger van, there's 12 of us in, in this vehicle and we're headed to Kaohsiung. And we're like, it's okay, it's going to be fun, uh, new experience, see a new place. And we get there, and the sun goes down, we're still traveling, and we get there, and it's nighttime. Uh, we haven't had dinner, we were able to just stop at a convenience store at a 7-Eleven and get a snack, um, and that was going to be our dinner, is what we could eat in a, at the 7-Eleven, and so we got the kids uh, some rolls and stuff, and, and we eat at the 7-Eleven, and we keep going on the road. We get to Kaohsiung, it's dark, and we pull up to what looks like this, this big, massive building, and we think, okay. This is our first time in a Taiwanese hotel. Uh, I'm, we're, we're looking forward to this experience. And we get pull up to off the road, and there's a gate. And they radio in, they hit the button, and someone says something in Chinese, and our driver says something in Chinese. And we're like, wow, fancy, right? We're getting buzzed in. And so they open the gate, and our driver pulls up, and we get to the front, and we're greeted by people. Um, the, the valets are in perfectly white uh, outfits, white coats, white pants, immaculate. Super fancy, we're thinking. And so they get out, and there's three of them, and they meet us in white, white coats and white pants, and they look nice, and they begin to talk to, to the leader to our correspondent, and who then translates to us. And he said, uh, you guys are going to be here for one night. Uh, we're looking forward to having you. And we said, oh, great. And then our leader tells us, uh, so this is their mental hospital. And I was like, what? what? And, and then the white coats and the white pants make a lot more sense. All right, and so we find out there's three guys, uh, three orderlies, and they're greeting us, and they're giving us the rules of the mental hospital. And I say, what do, you, what do you mean we're at a mental hospital? They said, well, we had some connections, and this was a free place we could stay for the night, and so we're staying at the mental hospital uh, here in Kaohsiung. I was like, what? Are you serious? And they said, yeah, yeah, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. Uh, most everyone's locked up. 
I was like, what? And, and so the orderly starts talking to, to the, our translator, and he says, you need to go with him. He'll take you to your room. And we say, okay. And so we grab our suitcases, and the guy uh, in his broken English says, stay close. Stay very close. <laughs> All right. And so he takes us, and he takes us to this room, and we go down a long hall, and, and we get to this room, and there's one, you know, like I said, this seems like a story you'd make up. It's not. There's one tiny window about this big on the door that you can look out. It's about our height because everyone in Taiwan is that. And so that was at least nice. And so there's one tiny window. We go in and he says, okay, I'm going to lock you in now. Do you need to use the restroom? We said, what? He's like, well, the bathroom's down here. I got to take you to the restroom. Uh, After that, once I lock it, you can't go. We say, what do you mean once you lock it? He said, we have to lock you in here for your safety. Sometimes the patients get out and it won't be safe. They could get in your room. They could get in our room. And so then he goes, we don't know what they'll do. And, well, all right. And so we, we take everyone to the restroom, come. And he says, have a good night. And he locks this metal door. And you hear the key change. And sure enough, I go and check. We're locked in. And so, like, this is about 11 o'clock at night. We're in a mental hospital in Taiwan. Taiwan was already scary. Now we're in a mental hospital. And uh, we try to get the kids situated on the way. I got two little small double beds. And we get the kids situated. And I go look out this tiny window. And I promise you, there are people in just hospital robes walking around like this. Like little zombies, they're all drugged up, and they're walking around down the hallways, and it's like, now I know why he locked our door. And so they're just roaming free, and they do that all night long. We can hear them out there. And so we finally get in our bed, and we start hearing a noise, this noise outside the window. It's like, and we're like, what is this? And then we hear a different noise. And we're like, what's going on? And then this just collection of noises start making and start sounding. And they've been going. We just hadn't processed because we've been nervous and we hadn't stopped. And we, we finally stop and we realize these noises have been going on since we got here right outside our window. And it's just this collection of noises I've never heard before. The strangest noises. We look out the window and there's all these people walking around. We don't know what's outside there. Like I was terrified for my kids. I think maybe I, maybe I slept an hour that night and the sun comes up and I quickly go look out the window and there's an emu outside our window and there's uh, another little animal that I'd never recognized and they have a petting zoo outside our window so that's what these noises have been all night but we got there at night and so and so we talked to them and the petting zoo is supposed to be calming for the mental patients and so they come unlock the door and we quickly get out of there and this was our experience our first hotel in Taiwan and so when I share this story, people are like, that can't, that's not true. You they have a petting zoo outside. Said, sure enough, I did. And so, so it's one of those stories that when I tell it, it's just like, everyone's always like, ah, oh, you're making that part up. Nope. No, that part can't be true. Yes, it is. And that's what our scripture is today. We have this story that just seems crazy. And I want you guys to be just fully dive into it today because if, if you don't embrace the story, you're going to miss the awe of this story. It's the transfiguration. It's a story that maybe you're familiar with, you've heard about before. If you've been around church, if you've read through a gospel, you've read about the story because it's in, it's in all the gospels. But it's the story of this transforming of Jesus. And a story that, I'll admit, even when I was getting ready to, to work on this message this week, it was like, oh, the transfiguration, okay. That, you know, it doesn't sound exciting. It doesn't heal someone. There isn't this amazing argument. There isn't this incredible thing. And then I got into it. 
oh, I was just blown away. And it's one of these stories. At the end, Jesus tells Peter and James and John, who got to go with him, hey, don't tell anyone about this. And I got to think, it's like those crazy, nutty stories that no one's going to believe them anyways, right? They're going to say, that didn't really happen. That didn't happen. And we're going to see this incredible story that really happened. And so with that, I'm just going to pray that we would just be fully open to see the awe of this story to be numb to, or, or not to be numb to it, but to put aside every other time we've heard it before. Every other time that we, we've glossed over this story, every other time we're like, yeah, yeah, he's in white, okay. And, and we just kind of move on. But to read this as if it's for the first time, to imagine this, and to get a grasp of what's happening here, this is an incredible story. And so if you'll pray with me, God, open our eyes to this. Let us see this with great reverence and awe. Let us see the magnitude of what this is. Let us be in awe of who Jesus is and the power that is in him is you. And God, we pray that you are in this room right now, that you are in our hearts, that you are in our minds, that you are making sure we realize what an amazing God you are, what an incredible blessing we have to have the Son of God, to have the Son of Man, to have Jesus Christ come and die for our sins. Let's not miss the magnitude of that. We lift this up in your name. Amen. We're in Mark chapter 9. Uh, feel free to open your journal, open your Bible to it. We'll have it up on the screen. It starts with a verse that seems like it's out of place. So it doesn't quite fit in the next story that we're about to look at. It doesn't quite fit in the story past. It's almost this connector, story, this connector verse. And it's a verse that many people have debated, what does it mean? And so we could have done it last week, we could have done it this week, and so we were looking at it this week, and at verse nine, chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus is with them. Remember, right before uh, he has been with the disciples, and he says, who do you say I am? And Peter proclaims that he's the Messiah. Proclaims that he's the one that's to come to, to overthrow the regime, to, to bring them out into freedom. And Jesus says, yes. And then Jesus starts telling them, hey, the, you, to pick up, you're going to have to pick up your cross to follow me. Whoever wants to gain his life must lose it. And starts doing these teachings uh, about death to come. And teachings about the struggle that the Messiah is about to face. And they even predicts that the Messiah will come and be killed and raise again. And so then we have this verse, chapter, one, or chapter 9, verse 1. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. A lot of debate about this verse. Some people say, well, does that mean that Jesus was supposed to come back and, and what the disciples have already died? Uh, or does it say that some of the disciples are going to live forever? What, what's this mean? And I think this is Mark's transition to the next story. Because this is the magnitude of the story we're about to look at. The power of the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God has come with power. And, he's, and Mark is transitioning to this new story to this transfiguration, to the power of God, to the power of the kingdom of God. There's three phases. There's most incredible, powerful spots in, in the life of Jesus where the kingdom of heaven comes to earth in the form of a little baby boy, where the kingdom is proclaimed and established when Jesus raises from the dead. And here, the power of the kingdom of God is here, going to be on this mountaintop at the transfiguration. 
So Mark is making sure we step back and see the magnitude of this story. The, the greatness of these, three point, of these three powerful moments in Jesus' life. And so Mark uses several techniques as he does with his writing. Uh, he changes locations to give us a different, different story, and we'll see this in chapter 2. And he connects the stories with timelines. And so verse 2 says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Mark makes it sound so, so simple. There he was transfigured. Uh, in the book of Luke, Luke's recording of the story says that Jesus took them up on this mountaintop. And, and there's great debate on which mountain, and I looked into that, and, <clears throat> and it doesn't really matter. That's not the point of the story. The point is that they're up on a mountaintop. And, and Luke says that the disciples ended up falling asleep during the prayer. And, and, I, and I love that part because I was like, I could relate with that. You guys know, like, sometimes in church service when a prayer gets really long and your eyes are closed and the next thing you know, everyone's standing and singing and you're just drooling. I've been there, all right? And so these guys are there and Jesus is praying and they just fall asleep. And next thing they know, one of them, one of them wakes up and then nudges the other two. And they look and there's Jesus with two guys and he's transfigured. And what does that mean in the Greek? I'm not a big person to dive into the Greek, but, but in that word, it's a passive voice, implying that Jesus didn't do the transfiguring. God did. Just fully embrace this. God is here on this mountaintop, and he does this, and he brings this to Jesus. And it says that his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Luke tells us this is nighttime. This isn't just that he has a white shirt and the sun's really bright and it's reflecting off. There's nothing to reflect this. This isn't an outside light source reflecting off of Jesus. This is light penetrating from Jesus. He's brighter than anything they've ever seen before. Mark can't even describe how bright he is, how white his clothes are. He is just shining. In the midst of the nighttime, their eyes are blinded because they see him. They see Jesus just shining there. And he's talking to two guys. And I'm sure these guys don't have name tags. They're probably calling each other by name. And so these disciples quickly pick up that this is Moses and Elijah from the past. For us, all of these guys are in the past, right? The entire Bible is historical for us. But for these guys, picture this is the present. Present tense. They're there with Jesus every day. And now these two guys from the past are here among us. These two guys that are centuries ago that we've just heard legends and stories have been passed down. These two guys that are written in our Old Testament in their book of, in their book of faith are standing before them on this mountain. It says, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Moses was the ideal prophet that represented the law. Moses brought them out of Egypt, brought the people of, out of, of Israel out of Egypt, and he presented them with the law. You got Elijah, who was the forerunner of the Messiah. You got Elijah, who came and performed miracles. You got Elijah, who came and, and called upon heaven to bring fire down to destroy Baal. Got these amazing pillars of faith. And Jesus, there with them. And throughout, let's not forget, Jesus is fully man. Jesus gets tired and Jesus gets thirsty. 
Jesus gets blisters on his feet when he's walked too far. Jesus gets hungry and enjoys a good meal. Jesus is a fully human being just like you and me. And then don't forget, in this story, Jesus is fully God. He is shining from within. He is sitting there talking to Moses and to Elijah. He, he is talking to these two legends of faith. He's talking to the one that received the Ten Commandments, that received the law and brought it to the people of Israel. And Jesus was the one that gave them that law. He's talking to Elijah who called down fire to destroy the, the Baal worshipers. Jesus is the one that sent that fireball down. And now we fast forward into the future, into the current time where Jesus is alive and these guys from the past come and are talking with him. Jesus is the one that knit them together in the mother's womb. Imagine how amazing this story is. And so here's Jesus. And Luke tells us that there's, they were talking and they're talking about his departure that's to come. Moses and Elijah are talking about how Jesus, what's the end going to look like? And we're about six to eight months away from the Passover at this point. The Passover that Jesus knows is the fulfillment that he will fulfill as the Passover lamb. The Passover that he knows he's headed on into Jerusalem. The Passover that he knows by fulfilling the Passover lamb means he will be a sacrifice. An unblemished sacrifice that he will die on a cross, as he had mentioned earlier, for the sins of all mankind. This is significant, what they're sitting here talking about. And Moses and Elijah are coming to talk to him about, about this exodus that he's going to take to take away our sins. And so they're discussing this. And, and, and we, we, they're discussing this death that's coming. And Jesus doesn't stop it. This is what is amazing as we continue on in the book of Mark, we're going to see time and again, Jesus could have stopped, Jesus could have stepped in, Jesus could have prevented this from happening, and he doesn't. As we see the, this verse from Philippians just fully lived out, and Paul says that, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This death on the cross doesn't jump up on him and surprise him, he knows this is coming, and he submits himself to do it for you and I. Even as Moses and Elijah are talking to him about the death that's to come for you and I. And so, we're on this mountaintop. The only light that's around is coming from Jesus there, shining bright. And the disciples wake up, and they're kind of lost, and they're confused, and, and, they, and they gather themselves, and they realize who Jesus is talking to, because they're calling each other by name, and they're amazed. This is Elijah. This is Moses. Uh, the legends from our past, our great heroes, we're in awe. And Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, is it good for us to be here? Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Peter speaks up, as he often does, and, and Peter's heart is good here. He's trying to, to provide for them, and, and I've heard many sermons talk about that, you, different things, looking at Peter, that we try to stay on the mountaintop, and we need to, but we can't stay there, or I've heard messages looking at Peter for speaking when he wasn't, speaking when he didn't deserve to, and, and honestly, those messages are great, but I think they missed the point, because Peter is the least significant person in this whole story. So we're just going to move on past Peter's comment. Peter mentions about getting tense, and, 
And more importantly, look what happens next. A thick cloud comes. Throughout the Bible, when we see this cloud, it represents God's presence. The cloud that that came upon the temple when Solomon dedicated it. The cloud that traveled with the Israelites. The cloud which was on the mountain when Moses met God. Here, a cloud comes upon them. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. God is making sure that... Peter, James, and John don't miss the point of this moment. I think God's making sure we don't miss the point of this moment. Sons of the Mount trying to set up a tent for, for Moses and Elijah. This isn't even about Moses and Elijah. This is about God's son. And do we listen to him? God speaks. We see God speaking several times in the Gospels at Jesus' baptism here later on when Jesus had the triumphal entry. And these proclamations that God has is focused on his son. That mankind for at that moment and then years later as we read the scripture would not miss. This is God's son. This is part of the, the Trinity. This is an amazing moment. Listen to him. You see these guys, Peter, James, and John, and, and it's an easy connection that sometimes we're in a spiritual slumber, right? That they fell asleep in the midst of this prayer, and, and sometimes we do that in our spiritual walk. And sometimes it's when we're doing so well and things seem to be going well that you kind of drop off your prayer time, drop off the devotion time. And then you're suddenly awakened by an event. Maybe it's a a great event or maybe it's a hard event, but suddenly you're you're shaken. And and you're looking around and you're caught off guard because you're not proactively seeking God. You're not in a time of prayer, in a time of of study, in a time of devotion in your daily life. And and you get woken up by the fact that you've gotten into some bad habits or some, some bad situations or bad relationships or just complacent with life. It's at these moments that we need to be shaken and see, this is Jesus. Listen to him. Those times when, when we don't know what's going to happen, when we're, when we're kind of shaken from the slumber, the spiritual slumber, let us come back to the scripture and listen to him. Let's come back to God in prayer and not just speak to God, but, but be silent. We talked last week about hearing the Holy Spirit's prompting uh, about encouraging us to, to, when we feel prompted to do something, to talk to someone, to, to step up and to do that. Because when we're in the spiritual slumber, when we're kind of numb to it, we miss these opportunities that God might be speaking to us. And so they come down the mountain. Verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead, which seems like a pretty simple order. No one's going to believe them anyways, right? They kept their matters to themselves, discussing raising from the dead, what that meant. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. So much of this we could possibly miss because we're not familiar with all the Old Testament scriptures and, and we're not familiar with what these titles mean. Son of Man has only been used a couple times up to this point, but we're going to see it used a lot more for the rest of Mark. And this is a reference to a scripture from the book of Daniel. And as they come down and Jesus says and talks about the son of man, Peter, James, John, 
are going to quickly tune into that and know that title means something. The book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13 says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming out with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Remember, the beginning of this chapter talks about the kingdom of God and the power is here. The Son of Man has come, and he is there among them. It says, and they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? I love this because they're picking up on that Jesus is the Messiah that they've proclaimed. And in doing so, they're picking up on some of the people's arguments against this, this claim. And they say that some of the people are complaining and saying that Elijah must come before the Messiah. And this is reference to Malachi 4, 5. It says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful days of the Lord, the, of the Lord comes. So they're picking up on this. And they say there's this argument out there. Elijah's going to come. And so if you're the Messiah, what do you mean Elijah's going to come? And they're not talking about this moment where Elijah was up on, up on the mountain because Jesus, says, re, Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man will suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it was written about him. Earlier on in Mark, Jesus has made a reference that John the Baptist was the Elijah that was to come. That the spirit of Elijah, uh, not a reincarnation, but just that this idea of a forerunner was John the Baptist. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's not talking about the Elijah they just met up on the mountainside because he says they've already done everything to him that they wished, just as it was written. What did they do to John the Baptist? They cut his head off. This is the forerunner of the Messiah had his head cut off. But look at this passage. Look at that command that Jesus has. He says uh, in verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus came to the mourners not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. This is the backbone of Jesus' entire ministry, raising from the dead. This is the, the, the magnitude, this moment up on the mountain where Jesus is shining bright and God speaking. Elijah and Moses are there. That is awe-inspiring, but nowhere near as much as this idea that the Son of Man will raise again, will raise from the dead. Jesus doesn't say, don't tell anyone this until I've died. And the death on the cross is significant, but nowhere near as significant as the empty tomb. Because, if, because many people, all people, have died. But only one has conquered death. Only one has served as a, a sacrifice for you and me and for our sins. That he was a sacrifice on our behalf. And the proof that that sacrifice was sufficient is the resurrection that he was able to conquer death. Because Jesus was the spotless lamb. So pick up on that. He says, don't tell anyone until I have risen. He already knows that will come. He's just been talking about with Moses and Elijah. They know the plan. 
It's not one Jesus wants to go through the suffering and the pain, but he knows the plan is to save mankind from our sins, to redeem us, to bring us eternal life, to bring us salvation through the forgiveness of our sins, through the act that Jesus will have. So he says, don't tell anyone until after I have risen, until after it's complete. I love that. And so we see Moses and Elijah are standing here. Just look at the awe of the story. Here's Moses and Elijah. People from the past. Here's Jesus reflecting, not reflecting the sun, but shining from within. Here's God speaking in a cloud. This is an incredible story. And then on top of it, we have the prediction, the accurate prediction that Jesus would raise from the dead. What an amazing thing. How incredible is that? There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 through 4. says, For what I received, I pass on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to Scripture. This is what Jesus is referencing. That he will die, sure, but he's going to raise again according to Scripture. This has all been the plan from the beginning. What an amazing, awe-inspiring story. I read a, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon uh, about this passage. And, and he said something that just opened my eyes and I just loved it. And I wanted to share that thought with you. That you have Jesus and Moses and Elijah here. And Moses is representing the law. Moses is representing uh, the Ten Commandments that were brought down, but then the laws that were added onto that. There's these requirements that the rabbi after rabbi after rabbi had made. And so there's this, this pressure of the law that's coming down on people because the only way to get to heaven, the thought, the only way to bring uh, forgiveness from God is to follow these rules, follow this law, and they kept failing at that. And so then you have to have these sacrifices year after year to meet to the law, to qualify for the law. You have Moses representing all this burden on the mankind, all this heaviness that they can't meet. Then you have Elijah on the other side. And Elijah represents all the prophets. Elijah represents this idea, this hope of to come. The prophets that kept coming time after time and telling the people of Israel, repent, repent, turn away, come back to God. And every time the people would come back a little bit, but then they'd drift further away. And this idea that Elijah represents the prophets that have been calling for this hope of a Messiah, trying to get people to come and follow God. So you got this, these requirements that people can't meet. You got this desire for a Messiah. And then Jesus. And look at verse, chapter 9, verse 8 through the New King James. So suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Only Jesus. The law fades away. The prophecies fade away, and we're left with only Jesus. We can't get to heaven by our good works, by doing the things that Moses has called us to do, by living a good life. We can only get there through only Jesus. We can't get there by just hoping and desiring that we would get to heaven, by wanting it to happen. I can only get there through only Jesus. 
Jesus says, I do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Fulfill everything Moses represents, everything Elijah represents, everything that mankind tries to get to God and through various ways. The only way is only Jesus. And only Jesus is everything. When the cloud lifts, they're there with only Jesus. Our relationship with God, our, our eternal destiny revolves around only Jesus. Look at the awe of this story. Because Moses didn't die on a cross. No, Elijah didn't die on a cross. The law can't get us there. The prophecies can't get us there. But what, who did? Only Jesus. And only Jesus rose. So who can beat Satan? Only Jesus. <laughs> who can take away my sin and yours? Only Jesus. Who gives us salvation? Only Jesus. When we're facing hard times and, and everything seems to struggle, who's there no matter what? Only Jesus. In our darkest moment, who's holding us? Only Jesus. Who'll never let us down? Only Jesus. Who's willing to die for you and me? Only Jesus. And so we close this awe-inspiring story with you and only Jesus. So we held on to our communion. If, if you still have it, pull it up, grab it. And we're gonna take communion right now. And right now, set aside the fact that you're a spouse or you're single. Set aside the thoughts, the pressures of your kids or not having kids. Set aside your work, pressures from work. Set aside the diagnosis. Set aside the joys. Set aside anything. Set aside the laws that you've been trying to earn your way and to, to do the right thing. Set aside this desire and hope that there's a future and reflect on it's you and only Jesus. For the next moment, the band's just going to play some light music. Set aside everything else. Let the cloud lift. And when it does, realize it's just you and only Jesus at this moment. <laughs>